here on Tailgate, ready to rock and roll. Austin Gale with Mike Renner. The sunny Cincinnati. It's actually gonna be like 60 degrees this week. Kind of hot on that. Yeah, a couple it? days. I mean, it's couple 45 days. today. 45 today. 60 in a few days. Happy to be on Tailgate here. The Monday review coming back from Knoxville. We'll give our Knoxville Tailgate review at the end of the show. Where I'd like to start. Got some fantastic guests joining the show this week on the schedule for this week Zachary Carter Zachary Carter from Florida and Boye Mafe from Minnesota two edge defenders should be joining the Wednesday episode but today risers, risers. biggest news yeah Packers stock sale tomorrow oh should You're I become a me, double shareholder how many shares do you have just one I mean what do you need do you need two you I'm gonna buy a share tomorrow you're not gonna. I'm not gonna let you buy a share. <laughs> I want to buy a share so I can join that group chat with your family. No, no. Isn't the group chat name Packers, Packers shareholders? shareholders? Yeah, it is. Uh, I actually, what I need to do is mine. I when I'm I got a mine, share. I was like four years old or whatever when I got it, and it's like sponsored by my mother. So my mother's name's on it. I need to get that removed. I need to get it in my name only. <laughs> I don't want. I don't need her. You know, stealing it from me. Should I? You know. Should we have a parting of ways it's and true. a falling out? I, I need that stock. So I'm yeah. getting a share tomorrow, and I'm going to tweet out that I am a Packers shareholder. I'll add it to my bio. I'll okay. do whatever I need to do. Yeah, well, good year to get in because they're the best team in the NFL right now. Oh, my God. We'll get there when we get there. I am excited to get into these game reviews, man. We have – it was a good week of football on the college and NFL side. We're going to go NFL Week 10 review here, starting with Ravens-Dolphins. I did not see this coming. I took a massive bet on Ravens minus a half point first quarter and one they won three zero <laughs> but from there it was a disaster from there the dolphins yeah. spanked the baltimore ravens i think so much of the conversation thursday night was greg roman what the hell what are you doing greg roman you are not adjusting to this cover yeah. zero they blitzed javon holland over 20 times the most adb has ever <laughs> blitzed awesome. and they had no and he was unblocked like half of them yeah they had no answers. How how does that happen? I think that's the biggest question I had. How does that happen? I know we can make fun of Greg Roman all day long, but how does that happen? You, you heard me on the pregame show. My take on it, it's like no one, no one is willing, no one has been willing to do that against Lamar Jackson because he sneaks out. I said they're not going to play man coverage against him. And truth be told, hand up, like they did not play a single snap of cover one in that game, which would be man coverage with a but middle of the field help. safety. When they played man coverage, they brought literally every single person who wasn't locked up. They brought the house every single time, six guys, cover zero, every time they did 38% of the dropbacks in that game. And like you said, there was no answer. I think they got only uh, four first downs, like, or three first downs against cover zero all day long. That's, that's, that was not what Lamar Jackson, what Greg Roman, what anyone expected, truthfully. And... Shit, hats off to the Dolphins. They, they, Brian Flores and that game plan won it for them. I mean, Ravens closed as eight-and-a-half-point favorites in that game. Yeah. Eight-and-a-half-point favorites admittedly on the road. They lose 22-10. Lamar Jackson goes 26-43, 238 with a touchdown and a pick. Four sacks as well. It was just not a good game all around. They could not get the run game going either. Devontae Freeman mm -hmm. led the team in carries with and had 10 carries for 35 yards. An ugly performance. What we wanted to do on this episode, because it's week 10, is also take a reset on both these teams as we move forward on preseason expectations versus where they are now. Yeah. I'll start with Baltimore is this even that far off from where we expected Baltimore to be at six and three like they yeah. are competitive in the AFC North there are other teams in the AFC North still tanking the De <laughs> Pittsburgh Steelers just tied with the Detroit Lions at home Cleveland got blown out by a rookie quarterback in the New England Patriots the Ravens are still in the driver's seat to win this yeah. division I think of all the teams you know we said the AFC has kind of been week to week just craziness of all the teams 
Ravens are kind of who we thought they were. Still a very good offense, but it's going to be an inconsistent offense because you don't have that caliber of playmakers. You don't have that offensive line. You're so reliant on Lamar Jackson. And so week in and week out, we've seen them just fluctuate somewhat wildly. And you still have this good defense, but it's not quite the teeth that it has been in recent years, obviously, with some injuries and whatnot on that side of the ball. So that the Ravens are 6-3. and three very good football team but it's not like we expected that to be the case but not a juggernaut sort of top of the AFC even if they are at the moment close to that and I'll say for Miami I had higher expectations than when we currently are right now one of the most disappointing I mean, yeah, that's yeah. A fucking <laughs> understatement one of the most disappointing teams in the NFL it has to be it has to be only three and three and seven with this win Tua Tungabailoa who's hurt but not hurt enough to come in which I yeah. still don't really understand like Tua, Jacoby Brissett starts this game goes 11-23 he gets hurt then Tua comes in. Is honestly the reason they come back and win this game. Goes eight for thirteen for one fifty eight. Like that was absurd to me. I think there's a lot of misunderstanding on how they handled that quarterback situation. If Tua was healthy enough to not just back up but also come in and play well, it didn't make a ton of sense for him for me not to start. But even at three and seven, I don't see this team clawing back into the playoffs. Their defense has drastically underperformed before this week. There's no reason to think that this upset win at home is a reason to turn this season around, right? This is an outlier among what has been a disappointing year for Miami. Yeah, I don't think this is, like you said, a sign of things to come. I, I, never, I didn't think they were as bad as their record was early on in the year, obviously heading into this game. But I also don't think this is a team that can turn around and make the playoffs, obviously sitting at 3-7. and seven. But more needs to be talked about the sort of malpractice of what's going on with Tua Tagovailoa and their development of him as career. W- whether it's last season, the reports that come out after, like literally letting those thing- things like that leak about him, about teammates clowning him or whatnot, trying to trade for Deshaun Watson up until the trade deadline, having those talks be so public that Tua Tagovailoa himself is getting asked about it, having him be a backup when his finger is injured, and then still coming in the game to Jacoby Brissett, who has not played good at all, good football at all. Like, I don't know how Tua, how hurt Tua has to be for him to be worse than Jacoby Brissett, and I don't think he was worse in this game by any measure. And then to have switch offense coordinators after year one to, to, to a co-offensive coordinator system has just been a nightmare. Like, it's been truly a, a, a nightmare for Tua in his young career. And, like, he needed stability coming off of a catastrophic injury, and it has been anything but with the management there. And so they are reaping what they've sowed basically at that quarterback position. Do you ultimately think any changes are made on the sideline? Like is Brian Flores on a hot seat here? I can't see that happening. I I don't think you should be. I just, I think, I don't, I don't know the fix though is the Mm -hmm. problem. I don't know who wants to come in there and be the offense coordinator, what they want to do offensively when he could very well next year be in the hot seat or and you have this weird situation with the co-office coordinators and you're still in like the Deshaun Watson sweepstakes. I don't know what to do. That's why I think the best thing shit for Tua at this point would be a change of scenery. Like mm-hmm. get that guy out of there, trade him during the offseason because you have basically he was like broke. They won the game and he did not sound like a guy who was confident whatsoever when he was at the podium afterwards. Yeah, mismanaged development for Tua Tungabailoa. Do you think that the Baltimore Ravens ultimately part ways with coordinators? I think a lot of people were talking about them moving on from Roman and other people there. No, I think Roman's his adjustments this year have been somewhat key to their success. Like I I think their passing game has drastically changed. I don't want to say drastically changed, but it's changed conceptually and some of the stuff they run, I don't think it's nearly as rigid as it was last season. And 
playing a lot more to Lamar Jackson's strengths. I, I still think Le- Greg Roman's one of the better offensive minds in the NFL. He's got a very good track record, and especially uh, formulating a running game around a mobile quarterback to where you could be – I mean, we saw what Lamar Jackson looked like his rookie year without Greg Roman. I, I'm not saying, obviously, it's still his rookie year, but it, you, you could risk setting you know, him back. I, I trust Greg Roman as an offensive mind still. Let's jump to oh my god! That's on me. First time, first time that mine's done that after what multiple years of doing this. Figure it out. I'm just gonna can I say this? Figure it out. All right, on to Falcons Cowboys. Now Cowboys were favored by a significant degree, eight points in this one at home against Atlanta. Did anyone see a 43 to three blowout though? Oh my gosh! Cowboys go in and dump truck. The Atlanta Falcons. Now they're seven and two on the season and eight and one against the spread. I think the Dallas Cowboys are a sleeping giant in the NFC. You see some shakiness with Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. They lose to the Washington football team this week. Arizona Cardinals without Kyler Murray get absolutely dogged by P.J. Walker and the Carolina Panthers at home. I, I, I do think that there's some vulnerability here. Enough for the Cowboys. I think need more people need to talk about them in the NFC. I think they're legitimately a top two, top three team in the NFC. I still really like Tampa Bay. Arizona has got to be in the conversation, but I think they could be number three. I, you know where I'm going to say is the best team in the NFC Packers, right now. Packers. But I do think the improvements in this secondary, and you saw it in this game, the way Anthony Brown played and the way Jordan Lewis played, if you get – now, you're not going to play like that every week. Trust me. Like that's, that was obviously an outlier. Pick from Anthony Brown was insane. The, pa- the multiple pass breakups from Jordan Lewis, I think he had three on five targets, where you're not going to get that every week. But if you can get consistent play out of those two guys, your two – your slot corner in Lewis and your number two corner in Anthony Brown. Shit, the sky, the sky is the limit for this defense because that front seven is going to be tough. You're not you, They house them without Randy Gregory, without Demarcus Lawrence. Once you have Demarcus Lawrence and Randy Gregory back, with Micah Parsons blitzing behind them, you're going to get pressure on every offensive line in the NFL. I don't care who it is. So th- this is a defense that, at full strength, is a far, far, far different animal than we saw at any point in 2020. A borderline top 10 defense at full strength if they can – like I said, if this secondary can be playing anywhere near this, that the way they have. Micah Parsons put Kayla McGarry in an absolute blender. Kayla McGarry, I think, was God. the lowest graded player in this game. Just above him, Matt Ryan, another dud from Matt yeah. Ryan. He was awful in this game. Yeah, he had no help against the secondary. The pressure was consistent. Nine of twenty-one for one seventeen and two bad picks. Like, what do we, we've been talking about preseason expectations here? Mm-hmm. Preseason expectations for the Atlanta Falcons weren't to be good. But what, with what they've done with Matt Ryan's contract and the commitment they've made to him, I am at a loss in terms of what do they actually do. Because you can't really rebuild right now. You can't really rebuild in 2022. You have to continue to look to add in the draft, maybe add some pieces of franchise. But are you going to be all that competitive, which is obviously a very talented NFC South, if you're half-baked into this rebuild? Yeah, they, they have to rebuild on the fly. They're just That's where they are from a cap perspective. That's where they are from – a quarterback perspective so I, I do think that that's the sort of bed they made for themselves or bed they made that what's his face made the the previous GM Thomas Dimitrov made for them sadly with what he left uh, on the table but I, I don't think they're terribly far away I will say like I I know that the offensive line rebuild is still a shaky offensive line it is more just if you get a defensive line in place I think there are now pieces with Deion Jones AJ Terrell that you can legitimately build around there that they're not too far away. Like last week, they would have been in the playoffs had it ended that week. They were 4-4. Four four. So I don't think it's that, that, that bad of a roster. I think there's still 
some hope. This is kind of the team, though, I thought they would be all year long. I didn't think this team would be picking the top five. Again, Dallas, on the other hand, I thought the defense would be improved. I did not think it'd be this much improved. I did not see foresee Trayvon Diggs going nuclear. <laughs> I, I did not foresee that at all. I didn't foresee Randy Gregory going nuclear. And now you get those two guys turning into elite players in their respective positions, alongside Mike Parsons, who I will say I kind of did see being the guy that he's been so far this year, and just winning because he was just on pure athleticism most of the time still. Like going up against Caleb McGarry, who said the reps he had against him, I'm not sure McGarry touched him really on either. Like he, he didn't have to use his hands. He is just that high end of an athlete and that kind of just instinctive of a football player that he is a massive, massive, massive difference compared to what they had at linebacker last season. I'd argue that I view the Cowboys similarly in that you thought this defense would see some positive regression and it's, it's improved more than people think. The offense, though, this is hitting nail on the head. This is how good the offense can be. This is how good the Cowboys' offense will be with Dak Prescott under center, with CeeDee Lamb. They had Michael Gallup back for the first time in a while. CeeDee Lamb was the highest-graded player in this game. He continues to be a focal point for that offense. I mean, this is a Cowboys offense that can go toe-to-toe yeah. with any team in the NFC. And if their defense continues to play at this rate, like I said, like you want to call Green Bay, you want to call Tampa, Arizona. These are great teams. But, dude, Dallas – is a team to beat in the NFC. Yeah, this team can win a Super Bowl for sure. And Which you'd love to see. America's team. When is it coming back? You'd love to see it. No one would. Skip Bayless is the only one who would love to see that. Uh, and I, obviously, I'd love to the, see it for Dak. I think yeah, I, there are a lot of players I want to root for on that team. I'll just say the last thing about this Cowboys defense, and it's I trust this turnaround. Like, I don't think this is fraudulent, whereas I still worry about Arizona. I still am a touch worried about Green Bay until they get back to full strength. But I believe in Dallas's turnaround. I don't think they're reverting close to the defense they were last year at any point here. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think that's fair. On to Saints at Titans. This was a sweat. I had Titans money line, a decent, decent amount of money on Titans money line, and it went all the way up to a failed two-point conversion. Oh, yeah, you didn't, bet, you didn't bet the spread. You went money line. I remember he's <sighs> – it was bold because they didn't cover the spread. Yeah, they didn't cover the spread, yeah. which was rough. The, the, this line closed at Tennessee minus two and a half. Titans win 23-21 in an all-out sweat. Now, a lot of people are on the Titans. Are they the best team in the AFC? They're eight and two now. They've on, I think they've won four or five straight. New Orleans put up a good fight. I did never expect this line to only be two and a half, though. I felt like the Titans were the better team. Still, Trevor Simeon keeps them in this one, goes 19 of 34 for 298, 298 and two touchdowns. My takeaway in this one, is that this defensive line has got something. This Titans defensive line with Harold Landry, Daquan Jones, yeah. Danico Autry, oh, yeah. um, obviously Jeffrey Simmons, who's a big breakout star for them. Like They can actually go toe-to-toe with some of the best offensive lines in the NFL. And like the New Orleans Saints have that with Ryan Tram- yeah. Ramchek and company. So I thought this Titans defense has seen significant improvement along the defensive line, which has helped out what is a very inexperienced back end in Tennessee. And then offensively, yeah, the run game has been horrendous. And I think that has negatively impacted their offense. But you can still get things done with as good as Ryan Tannehill is playing. Yes, I, I will say this. I, I believe if we, he's not going to win it. But Sean Payton's coaching job this year has been one of the most impressive of any coach. Has been probably the most impressive of any coach in the NFL. Like, to have Trevor Simeon in a game without Alvin Kamara, without Michael Thomas, going toe-to-toe with Titans with, – with Ryan Tannehill with on the, the road, the, the number, the top team in the AFC. That is like, that was, that just should not have happened. And now obviously Titans pulled away. Uh, 
you know, one in the end, they are for real on the defensive side of the ball, something we were not certain about. And it's because of those leaps along the defensive line that you talked about with Simmons, with Harold Landry, with Nico Autry, all playing at a really high level. And the guy I'll mention, because we're a massive fan of his coming out, Christian Fulton, low-key having a fantastic season there on the back end. Only allowed 11 of 29 targets so far for 191 yards. And unspoken about storyline this season, his first game back from injury here in Week 10. He's been excellent for them, which is nice to see because we're really high on him coming out. That's always nice. I, I think it would be safe <laughs> to say we were talking a lot about preseason expectations that both the Saints and the Titans have in some ways exceeded preseason expectations. Yeah. I was not buying the Saints even when Jameis Winston was a starter, and you're still not buying the Saints with Trevor Simeon, but they have, like you said, with Sean Payton coaching up a gem, have exceeded expectations in a lot of ways. No one picked them to even be competitive yeah. in, the, in an NFC South now that if they won this game, they'd be way closer to the Bucs than maybe people expected during the preseason. As for the Titans, there were a lot of reasons to buy the Titans as the AFC South crown, you know, AFC South winner when it's all said and done. I bet on the Tennessee Titans mm-hmm. beating them out. But to have this comfortable of a lead over the AFC South, I think is super impressive and something I didn't see coming. Yeah, I didn't see eight until. Uh, I thought I thought this was a 10-7 and seven team that takes home the AFC South, and they're about to get to 10 wins probably in a few weeks here. Like uh, They are very much – I mean, a two-game two game in the win column lead in the AFC right now is massive. Mm-hmm. And, and, yeah, no Derrick Henry is going to be a problem, but I think this team is for real. And it's – I don't think they're – like, I think – I don't think they're as good as those – the top tier in the NFC. Mm-hmm. Like, I would comfortably put them behind those teams. But they could very well still be the best team in the AFC because that's just how I see the AFC at this point. I mean, the AFC is a, a shit show, for yeah. lack of a better word. Yeah. I mean, it has been – I mean, your best team last week, the Browns got dump-trucked. Yeah by the New England Patriots 45-7 on the road, and that we will get to. But, I mean, there isn't isn't a team in the AFC right now you could confidently say is the best. I don't – even with Tennessee leading in that record, like, I think every team in the AFC, especially at the top – I mean, I mean, there aren't even a lot of doormats in the AFC after the Texans, right? I mean, there is a lot of competition in the AFC, a lot of competition of mediocrity. Um, Before we get to Jaguars at Colts, speaking of mediocrity – X Chairs, new sponsor of Tailgate, introducing a new Tailgate sponsor, X Chair. Working from home is more important now than ever. Optimize your home office with an X Chair and our many accessories to enhance your focus, productivity, energy, and comfort. Once you feel the customized support of X Chair's patented dynamic variable lumbar or DVL, there's no going back. I have the X Chair in the office. Some people got them sent to their house. I, I mean, there's not a single person in the office that doesn't walk by and doesn't say, whoa. Is that an X chair? And say, yeah, it is. And then they hold up the X. Imagine, imagine you sitting up there. No one holds up the X at you. They hold up the X at me. Why? Because I am sitting in the DVL, the dynamic variable lumbar X chair. It's an all, it's all in LMX massage and temperature regulation, exclusively designed and made for X chair. With versatile comfort and extraordinary design, X chair fits any space, high performance, quality engineering, extreme comfort. Those are all the reasons I love my X chair. Now I can't wait to be at work. I can't. I literally can't. And sometimes even when I'm not working. I sit in my X chair just to get into that feeling. Take my advice. Try X chair for yourself risk-free for 30 days. Go to xchairtailgate.com now. And that's letter X chair, T-A-I-L-G-A-T-E.com. Or call 1-844-X-CHAIR for $100 off your order. X chair has a 30-day guarantee of complete comfort. And you can finance your purchases as little as $30 a month. xchairtailgate.com. If you're watching on YouTube, check out the link below in the description. You love to see it. The X chair. The X-Men. Jaguars at Colts. Colts favored by 10.5. And, and this was never really a game until late. 
You saw the Jaguars like sneaking into this one, but honestly, Colts had kind of dominant control over most of this. They went, well, I mean, they didn't outplay them that much. It was a very evenly matched game outside of a block punt. I, I still, I, I mean, but you just never saw, it wasn't even, oh, yeah, I mean, game, it, you just never saw the Jags get in it, you yeah. know, until late. It was that the Jags could not move the ball. Yeah, more could, the, the offense literally could not move the ball. Trevor Lawrence went 16 of 35 for 162. Yes. Took three sacks. Yeah. He has not been supported all that well this season. We've mm-hmm. talked about that a ton. Urban Meyer being at the forefront of that conversation, but still, it is tough sledding in Jacksonville right now, where on the other hand, like, Colts weren't moving the ball that much either, but I, I felt that. I felt more confident in the Colts winning that game start to finish. I mean, you had Jonathan Taylor going off here, 21 carries for 116 and a touchdown. I think that the Colts, 5-5, five and five, I'm not buying them as a contender, mm-hmm. but that is a team that can go toe-toe with a lot of teams in the AFC. Again, there's just no like obvious win in the AFC. I'm not saying they're at the top of it, but still, they are a tough beat. Every, it's why they're 10.5-point favorites over the Jags. Yeah, this game was a difficult watch, I'll be honest. Like Neither quarterback played well. Wentz accuracy issues were popping back up, but – I want to talk about, because we just dogged the Raiders 2020 draft class all last week, the Jaguars 2020 draft class is not looking much better. No. They've already traded away their top 10 pick in C.J. Henderson. Caleb on chase on now has 13 pressures in nine games, and get this, six of them were unblocked or cleanup. He has won seven pass rushing reps in nine games. He has not been, and he can't even see the field anymore, 16 snaps this game. They, they are. He has been relegated to a backup role because your 20th overall pick last year cannot win one-on-one and he can't finish either he is one of the worst missed tackle rates of any defense player in the nfl he has just been a liability when on the football field which it's year two and yeah he was a project but there's no discernible improvement he's on pace for fewer pressures than he had in year one that is worrisome when on the other side of the ball quiddy pay had seven pressures yet again after a monster game last week against the Jets, Quiddy Pay is looking like he has turned a corner in his rookie season. Massive for the Colts going forwards. That's what you like to see from a youngster as opposed to Quiddy, or excuse me, Caleb on, who is, I'm not sure it's going to happen with him. Yeah, I mean, I really liked Caleb on chase on in bursts coming out of LSU. And I do think that the consistency was never really there for them, but it's now definitely not there in the yeah. NFL. But I think the other name you got to bring up there, LaVisca Chenault. LaVisca yeah. Chenault Jr. has not taken the step that everyone wants to take, right? He has a 1.29 yards per route run this season, ranks 71st, tied for 71st with Marvin Jones. And a lot of that's the offense yards per route run. You need to be targeted. You need to be accurately targeted. But still, like, he has not been the guy that people wanted him to be. And I think he's been hyped up as this guy that's going to break out eventually. He's got, Once he gets the opportunities, only 358 receiving yards on the season, 205 of which coming after the catch, no touchdowns. LaVisca Chenault, C.J. Henderson, Caleb on Chason, all not – taking this next step that you need to see. Well, the, I don't want to say the problem. LaVisca hasn't – he hasn't developed into taking the next step to be a complete sort of wide receiver. Yeah. We all said kind of coming out of Colorado, he was a gadget player. This was not a this was not a guy that you are going to put as your number one and have him win reps against top flight corners. We just knew that coming yeah. out. But with the ball in his hands, he's special. And he can do different things and has – or had good ball skills and good contest catchability. Now, Jamal Agnew – is the role that like we yeah, said yeah, exactly. we said for LaVisca Schnault to do. Like this offense is a mess because they have they do not have like mismatched personnel. You got Dan Arnold being like one of your top targets in that offense and LaVisca Schnault trying to play a role that he's just not accustomed to playing. Whereas Jamal Agnews now is getting featured in that offense because of uh God knows why. And 
it may sound like I'm making excuses for Trevor Lawrence and his play, but there are legitimate excuses to be made. And I would not make excuses for Trevor Lawrence that are like schematically, because I was also high on Urban Meyer coming out, but he has been one of the most disappointing head coaching jobs. Like we're talking about mm -hmm. looking back on the season, I expected a lot more from them schematically in terms of creativity than what I've seen from this offense. It has been as stale as can be in the NFL. And that's just unfortunate because it's really, I mean, holding back the fact that you have this guy, this uber talented quarterback running the show with not much to show for it. I think for the Colts, like looking back on some of my preseason expectations i felt that carson wentz could have the highest single game you know single season grade of his career back of frank reich he's not having that 69.1 you're not seeing the improvement that you need in 2020 his worst season in the nfl has 65.0 pff grade this year a 69.1 grade but i will say for the colts defense i always felt was a bit overstated from a talent perspective they're not like the juggernaut that a lot of people hope that Eberflus and company could be mm -hmm. and on the other side i want to raise my hand i, I was i was i was slow i was hitting the brakes on the jags when they were, people were like betting plus 800 AC South and that stuff, I remember saying, "Whoa, whoa, whoa!" There's so uh, the biggest thing I kept saying was the newness. There's just too much new shit. Trevor Lawrence, yeah, tra Travis Etienne at the time, Urban Meyer. Like you're gonna have to have so much new things hitting the ground, and it's just not it's not gonna newness. Yeah, yeah. you're gonna have so much newness hitting yeah. the ground, and it just you called that one. I was too hyped. Too, too high, too high on Slurvin Meyer. Mm -hmm. All right, uh, let's get out of the Jags Colts game. That that game was not fun. Browns at Patriots. On the other hand, Patriots closed. I think it's two and a half point favorites at home. And you were on the Browns. I was on the Browns. I bet a lot on the Browns. And still, this game was never in doubt. Um, it, Patriots just absolutely rolled the yeah. Cleveland Browns, beating them forty-five to seven at home. Baker Mayfield did get hurt in this one, but honestly, it, it, he wasn't he gets playing hurt, He gets hurt every week. Exactly. So that's nothing new. He wasn't playing all that well before then. Yeah. Just 11 of 21 for 73 yards, a touchdown, and a pick. Also took two sacks in this one. Case Keenum came in in largely garbage time and didn't do all that much better. As for Mac Jones, in weeks 1 through 10, uh, since 2006, no rookie quarterback is graded higher yeah. than Mac Jones. He has played phenomenal to start this season. I was going to add for Quiddy Pay too. The list for Quiddy Pay, weeks one through ten, rookie edges, Von Miller, Bosa, Mac, Garrett, the other Bosa than Quiddy Pay. He's sixth on that list in weeks one through ten in PFF grade. He has been, like you said, turned the corner for Mac Jones, the number one among all rookie quarterbacks with enough snaps to qualify in weeks one through ten. He has been great. A big reason why they are exceeding expectations. I don't think anyone saw the New England Patriots being as competitive as they've been, at least of late. They started slow, which I think some people expected, but they're turning it on right now. This defense looks good. They trade away Stephon Gilmore and still haven't seen a significant step back. J.C. Jackson ranks first in pass rating when targeted. Mac Jones at the helm with Bill Belichick. This is a team that I think can be playoff competitive. Yeah. This offensive line at full strength, which they were finally in this game with Trent Brown They didn't even back. have a Wainu. Though it was that full strength, it was like the best strength they've had. But yeah. I mean that he went down in this game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then even still, it is it's tough. Like that is a tough run blocking line. It is a we said it before the season, like they are zigging and when everyone's zagging with that line with just the mass up front. Three seventy, Trent Brown, three fifty on Wainu. Like these are big ass dudes that move the line of scrimmage and they just punched Cleveland in the mouth. And one of the most – one of you know, Mac Jones, we said, the highest graded. But I think the thing he's done best this season, or that compared to all the rookie quarterbacks, and this was easily his most impressive performance, is he manipulates pockets so impressively. Like, in this game, his ability to you'll, – you'll see a lot of 
quarterbacks, whether it's Justin Fields, Zach Wilson, those two especially, early on will sit deep because they want to get out the back door. Like they, they want to be, they want to have that space to work with. Mac Jones will get to seven yards, eight yards max, and he will be getting up into that pocket. And now some of that helps to have a really good interior offensive line, which the Patriots do. But Miles Garrett could have had three or four sacks in this game if he was going up against Zach Wilson, if he was going up against Justin Fields. And, you, and no one and every any casual observer would have just been like, oh, man, offensive line stinks. Well, it's like, well, you got to get you got to help your guys out, too. And Mac Jones is doing that as well as any rookie that I've seen in recent memory. It has been impressive. I don't think it's over, you know go back to preseason expectations. I don't think they've overly exceeded preseason expectations. Yeah, I was on this. Six and four still. I was on yeah. this show saying they're the most improved team in the NFL. They can be playoff competitive with Mac Jones. Yeah. They spent so much in free agency so they could get a rookie quarterback on that cost-controlled rookie contract. And this is you talk about expectations. This is probably exceeding Bill Belichick's expectations. This is what he wanted to do. He wanted to yeah. bring in Mac Jones, get cheaper at that position, so he could go get Matthew Judon, who's played well. So he could mm-hmm. go get Hunter Henry, who had a touchdown in this game. And now it's all working out. And they just beat who what a lot of people think is a top three team in the AFC, who's coming off a big win without OBJ. Going to the Browns, I think it's safe to say they're not succeeding expectations. Now just 5-5 five and five on the season, losing to a rookie quarterback on the road where they were only two-and-a-half-point favorites by a ton. So far this season, minus 10 in point differential on the year, 5-5 five and five against the spread, 5-5 five and five on the year. And I don't know how much better this gets. Like, when, when does this all start to be consistent for the Cleveland Browns? Yeah, they have a good offensive line. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they have a defense with a ton of talent. But there is not a shell of consistency on either side of the ball for this team, and that's probably the biggest concern. Yeah, I mean, that was the worst game I've seen from Baker Mayfield in his career. That was the pick, the first pick he threw. I guess he only threw one pick, but that pick was – it couldn't pick by two guys. It was just – he completely misread cover two. Like it was one of the most blatantly bad passes you'll ever see. Um, and then misses left and right. I I don't know. Like they, they just may be exceedingly inconsistent. And now they're not the only ones in the NFL that's looked inconsistent this year. Not but, the only ones in the AFC specifically. Yeah, right? but they, I think that's just going to be them. It's going to be like, hey, if Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt, when they're back, if they're rolling – they're dangerous. Mm-hmm. If they're not, they're losing it. They're losing that game. It's like yeah. flat out, that's what they live and die by. And I, I, this receiving core too, like you lose Nick Chubb, you lose Kareem Hunt, Jarvis Landry becomes your top guy. They're going to Njoku yeah. probably more than they want to. Donovan Peoples-Jones, Anthony Schwartz. There is not a lot of depth at skill player after yeah. your two big dogs go down, the two running backs. And at receiver, losing OBJ, and I know a lot of people are like, they're better without OBJ. Still... Game in and game out, you have to create separation. Mm-hmm. They don't have a lot of, like, legit, legit separators. And that, I think, is going to cost them, too. Like, they have this good offensive line and two star-studded backs. And when things are going great on the ground, they can kind of make some things happen. But this is this is a concern for me. I'm, like, almost – I'm not selling the Browns. But there's part – which team are you buying more right now? At Week 10, New England or Browns? I, I just – that was that's, that's I, tough, right? I it mean, because they, they're just. I, I still on. believe that Cleveland's still like the most talented, but Baker Mayfield is not like uh, terrifying. He's terrifying to me at this point. This is I've seen enough to where I'm not going to buy any turnaround from him at this point. Whereas the Patriots are really on the rise, like there and there's reason to believe this defense is very much for real with the kind of young talent they have with Kyle Duggar making plays with Christian Barmore starting to become an impact player on that interior. Like they have dudes at every level of this defense this is a real deal defense the top five or so unit in the nfl man man i i mean and i used to put and obviously bill belichick i used to put baker mayfield in this 
Kirk Cousins tier, right? Where when the situation's yeah. ideal, he can. But there are too many sacks on his tape, too many turnover-worthy plays on his tape that Kirk Cousins doesn't even do. Like mm-hmm. Kirk Cousins is one of the highest-grade quarterbacks in the NFL because he doesn't make those mistakes, and a lot of his turnover-worthy plays can be gimmicky at times. Baker Mayfield like, makes flat-out mistakes, holds the ball too long, can take unnecessary stacks, sacks, bail out of clean pockets. I'm moving him down from this Kirk Cousins tier in a lot of ways, at least after the last few weeks, right? Like he has not played at a consistently average to above average rate. Yeah, There's no consistency to his game. It's such a weird, there's no real comp for him as quarterback position in terms of like how he plays it because he's got such like strongly defined strengths and weaknesses. Like I don't think he's inaccurate. Like I don't, I don't think he misses a ton of throws. No. And usually bad quarterbacks, that's a problem. Um, and, and he obviously has a very strong arm. But then his pocket presence is just ass. Like it is bad. And decision-making, very suspect. And cannot operate under pressure to save his life. And there's just like these very, like I said, strong defined strengths and weaknesses that like if you are a good defense coordinator, if you're a Bill Belichick, you can exploit him and obviously just did. Let's get out of this game. Bill's Jets. This was another tough watch here. <laughs> Bill's Jets, and it was really never in doubt. The Bills win big as 12.5-point favorites on the road over New York. They win 45-17. The Mike White era was great. I loved it. It was really fun. I think a lot of people enjoyed it. He's the future. Western Kentucky Hilltopper, great. Goes 24-44 for 251 and four picks in this one. It was ugly. Really yeah. ugly. Bill's defense is it's tough. It's top moment. in the NFL. I think yeah, Bill's, it, it, Bill's right defense is, yeah. statistically yeah. is the best in the NFL. It's also probably the most consistent if yeah. you had to look like like game by game. And I, I don't know if there's I don't know if there is a tougher defense in the NFL right now. It also speaks to what we said after the Bengals game, though. It was like he didn't grade well because he didn't do much. Yeah, he didn't he didn't have to. He was not asked to go above and beyond in that game. And yeah, he did some nice things that Zach Wilson hadn't been doing, and that if you could blend their games together, you'd get a much, much better quarterback. But it's still Mike White on his own. It's still a limited thrower of the football, and I think you saw that against the Bills. And Josh Allen, after that just awful, awful performance against the Jags, was you know at the very top of his game this week. Yeah, Josh Allen in this one had the highest game of his season or highest graded game of his season. He looked phenomenal against most big time throws of any quarterback in a single game this all year. Eight eight big time throws in this one. The Jets defense has been horrendous. Going back to preseason expectations, you expected some Robert Sala impact and it has not is not turned into much magic. And offensively, one, you expected Zach Wilson to be healthy, and two, you expect him to play well. I think they've fallen under expectations on both sides of the ball. Yeah, I agree. On to Bucks or no Lions at Steelers game that ended a tie surprising Najee Harris and a lot of people as well that Steelers were favored by eight and a half which I always felt was big mm-hmm. Steelers favored by eight and a half in a rainy gross game and then you find out that you had um Big Ben who self-reported his heroically self-reported his COVID his COVID uh symptoms so then you had Mason Rudolph playing this game so that eight and a half fell all the way down I think it got down to five and a half five and a half point favorites at kick Lions, Steelers tie at 16. In a game that I think both teams wanted to lose. Both teams did not want to win this game. It was a disgusting, I mean, gross to. game to watch. I don't ever want to watch a game like that again. It was. So Mason Rudolph averaged. The passing games were running games in this. 4.8 yards per attempt. Goff averaged 4.6 yards per attempt. Oh, my God. Hard to do. That's You just like, you don't see that in today's NFL anymore. It just doesn't happen. Um, 
high, obviously. It was brutal. I, I don't know. Like Mason Rudolph is just – I can't believe they kept him on as the backups. Like, my thing. He was so tough to watch the last time he got extended run that I can't believe they didn't go out with Big Ben and his health issues at his age and try to get a real backup quarterback because this was not it. Of all the bad teams in the NFL, I think the Detroit Lions are doing this best. They got Jared Goff in there. They're just gonna. They're they're on their way to the number one overall pick. Yeah. They're not winning a lot of games, but they're 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 somewhat competitive, right? They're five and four against the spread, but zero and eight and one mm-hmm. on the season with the tie. Like there are for Detroit Lions fans at least like in games, whereas like you watch like some of the Lions or the Jets games this year, they just get blown out every single week. Like this was has been a competitive Lions team that is on their way to the number one overall pick to really right the ship, and they have two first round picks, I believe, this season. Like yes. that that is where you want to be as a very bad football team and I think that's the biggest takeaway like if you're a Detroit Lions fan yeah you want to win games yeah you want to root for something but man you get the number one overall pick and you have two top you have two first round picks in 2022 that is how you write the ship you move on from Jared Goff and you try and really rebuild this thing because there are a lot of other teams that are terrible but in half-baked rebuilds I don't yeah. really know what they're going to do next the Houston Texans are a bit of a dumpster fire the Jags are in like a rebuild on the sideline they're going to need to make some plays with veterans elsewhere like this is this is a really good bad football team in how they're positioned I, I think we kind of hit the nail on the head in both these teams preseason where we're like lions and the texans are the clear tier of bad number one overall pick steelers while they got shit on a lot of the offseason still have an immensely talented defense still have playmakers at every level of that defense still can shut down a lot of offenses around the nfl still should win some games but they are going to be tough mm-hmm. to watch offensively. And they have been, and that's led to 5-3-1 and three and one at this point. Like, it's led to a team that would make the playoffs if the season ended right now. But it's not like – I don't think even Steelers fans are looking at this team and being like, Super Bowl. Yeah. Like, well, we could get it. It's like, no. I don't even think there's lightning in this bottle, right? Like, yeah. you're not like you're not like striking lightning in a postseason run. Like, I don't know how who's sparking that. Chase Claypool hurt. You have – you have Juju Smith-Schuster still hurt. Like this, there's a lot of reason to think that yeah, they'll be competitive because Mike Tomlin is one of the most underrated coaches in the NFL. But this is not a team Future that you're USC head coach Mike Tomlin. Stop, stop, stop. All right, get off this game. I'm out. I'm out. Lions, you're in a perfect position to rebuild. Steelers, moving on from Big Ben, ideally keeping Mike Tomlin, ideally. And I think you still you'll get more competitive. You could take a Patriots-like route here. Move along from move move on from a lot of your veteran talent. Go get younger at the quarterback position, cost controlled yeah. at the quarterback position, and start this rebuild. Yeah, they they seem like a team that has to pick a quarterback in the first round. We've yes. talked about the quarterback. Pick the class. best one. They, they are gonna they're going to. I would give it a fifty plus percent chance of picking a quarterback. Love that. Love that. Because they, they're just expensive. It's yeah. an expensive team right now. Bucks at football team. Football team at home favored by nine and a half. I bet the Bucks live when they went down. They were like plus Ooh. 118 to win, and I got wrecked, wrecked by this game. So football team wins 29-19. Football team improves to 3-6 and six on the season, 2-7 and seven against the spread. That was just their second win against the spread this year, and they won outright. Buccaneers, on the other hand, here's a stat for you. 6-3 and three on the season, and a team I know I've called the best team in the NFL, only 3-6 and six against the spread, yeah. not exceeding Vegas set yeah. expectations. Is there a panic button near this situation and where's your hand on it are you hovering it are you feeling it up a little bit are you smacking it what's what's your take no there's still injuries there's still injuries on this roster especially in the secondary that i'm not super worried because this is this is who they were last year too you know like they were their offense would just kind of 
shit the bed sometimes inexplicably. Um, so I don't, I, I don't think I'm too worried about the Bucks. Uh, I think you start to worry if you start to get serious injuries and in guys who aren't going to come back this year. That's when I would worry, but I don't think they are. That's not where they're at right now. They're going to get healthy here sometime soon, so I'm not too worried. But football team, I'm. this is a Pyrrhic victory for sure. Wait, no, is that the opposite? It's the opposite of a Pyrrhic victory. They won, but it's a bad win because Chase Young tearing his ACL yeah, that is a brutal, sucks. brutal, brutal loss for them in year two. Uh, this was a wild game, though. Like this, the, the Brady throwing two picks, one was just like not his fault whatsoever. And then having one of the, like not even hyperbole to say it, one of the greatest drives in any NFL game in history, ten minutes and thirty six seconds to score a touchdown. They were within what was it, a four point game. Yeah. There's eleven minutes on the clock. Ten minutes and thirty six seconds, and they score a touchdown. Like they, they literally ended the game with with 11 minutes left and the ball only up four points. They ended it right then and there, not right then and there, 10 minutes, 36 seconds later. But that was just insane to watch. You're like, they just keep converting, like keep converting third down. They got it. And then they go for it on fourth down, which I loved and did not like, did not believe it until that touchdown. I was like, this isn't going to happen. Like, you know, like this, right. And then it finally did. You obviously didn't, you bet it. Any concerns right now with Tom Brady? Tom Brady in the last four games, 64.9 grade, 76.2, 63.3, and then against Washington, a 66.2. Some turnover-worthy plays. Age mixed in there. I'm not it's, saying age. I'm not, I'm not saying decline. I'm saying he's not playing well right now. He hasn't played well in the last four weeks. You're saying he's washed. I I'm not it. saying he's washed. I'm Tweet saying he hasn't played well in the last four weeks against Philly, Chicago, New Orleans, and Washington. That, in my opinion, I don't know if that's a trend. Are you concerned at all? Or is this just like you said, is the offense just kind of failing a little bit? What? Uh, I mean, he also played three of those four. The bigger thing to me without Antonio Brown. And that was what changed them last year is when Antonio Brown came there because that is the receiver that plays to his skill set, my opinion, more than Mike Evans, Mike Evans and by Chris a lot. Scott. Mike Evans by a lot and Chris Godwin to some degree. So, yes, once it, if Antonio Brown comes back and that's still what we see, then we can get worried. What about defensively? In this game, very low pressure rate. They struggled to get you know, quarterback pressure. This was a defense in the beginning, like Vita Vea, Jason Pierre-Paul, you know, Joe Tryon-Chianca. Like, this is like a star-studded defense, and they have, again, not played all that well of late. Yeah, I, I have been a little disappointed with Joe Tryon, Shoyanka, and I hate that I have to say Shoyanka, the hyphenated. Just, Tryon was what he's known by to me. But he has not been the impact player I thought when we saw him preseason. Now he's been fine, but... Uh, I thought we were going to see a guy who could hit the ground running right out the gate. This one was surprising that they did not get more pressure on Taylor Heineke. Uh, very probably the best one of the best performances from Washington's office line all year long. Oh, so season to date, they ranked ninth in pressure rate and ninth in EPA per play allowed. But over the last four weeks, they don't even crack the top ten in either of those metrics. Sixteenth in pressure rate and outside the top ten in EPA for play allowed. Like they have not been a good defense over the last four weeks. Tom Brady hasn't played well over the last four weeks. They need to right the ship. People mm -hmm. were talking about are the are the is Patrick Mahomes figured out? Are the Chiefs figured out? Let's get let's get some of that microscope action on Tom Brady's ass. All right, let's let's get off the Chiefs a little bit yeah. and look at this TB12 diet and get some plays going there. Panthers at Cardinals. Cardinals were favored by ten and a half at open. That was a lot of that was the Kyler Murray factor. They thought Kyler Murray was going to potentially suit up in this game. He doesn't. But even then, it goes from 10.5 to 7. That was all it moved? That was all it moved. That's wild. 10.5 to 7. Total went from 44.5 to 41.5. 
That was a game I wish I bet, but I was already taking so many L's on the 1 o'clock slate that I ended up not betting <laughs> it. But pa- I wanted to bet Panthers. I wanted to bet Panthers. My line, I wanted to bet Panthers against spread. They go in with P.J. Walker, Cam Newton, 34-10, on the road against Colt McCoy and the Arizona Cardinals. This was an ugly game, and I don't think the reactions here are that without Kyler Murray, that was fool's goat against San Francisco. Without Kyler Murray, this Arizona Cardinals yeah. team stinks. Yes. Flat out. And they, you know, DeAndre Hopkins, too, still banged up. Do not... Do not buy into this San Francisco 49ers, you know, win over with Colt McCoy. I think Cardinals need Kyler Murray more than they need air to breathe if they're going to be competitive for the Super Bowl this year. Yeah, this felt like, I mean, similar to the Packers last week, Jordan Love, where it's just like, you get to throw that shit out the window. Yeah. Like, like this doesn't, this is not the same team when you are missing Kyler Murray and Dadder Hopkins. It's just, that is your offense for the vast, you know, that's, that is how you win games. And to lose both those guys, they were living on borrowed time, not having them yeah. the week prior. So yeah, this, this is one, a throw the tape out situation. Yeah, this is like what what reactions we're we gonna have. There's really none. Like we know Carolina's defense be good. That's mm-hmm. not an issue. But they really didn't have to do shit all offensively to blow out in this game because Arizona was so stagnant. In terms of preseason expectations, I think both Cardinals have exceeded my preseason expectations. Mm-hmm. I was down on Cliff Kingsbury. I was down on this finally working out, and it has. And for the Panthers, I think they've. Right fall below my expectation. I thought Sam Darnold would have a much more, would look better than he has. I, I tweeted out recently that he has pretty much the same PFF grade, same EPA per dropback, all that shit as he had in New York. He is the same guy in Carolina with Joe Brady and company. This has not worked out. And now with PJ Walker and Cam Newton, I think they are an improved team. They are going to have more life. Yeah. I think Robbie Anderson's going to be screaming a little bit less on the sideline. And I think that, in my opinion, does does do you feel? I know they just came off a win, and they're they're five and five on the season. Do you feel the P.J. Walker, Cam Newton surge could vault them into like a wild card swing of the bat and Matt Rule keeps his job and everything goes gr- Yeah, glory, possibly. Or, or I, are you not buying this win at all? I think it's very possible because it's very good defense and Darnold was, I mean, nothing short of a liability. I, I thought we would not, you know, first three games, everyone's crowning him. I didn't think it would be that good, but I also didn't think it would be this bad. I thought you'd be getting like Case Keenum level quarterback play from Sam Darnold, which is just like be okay every single game and not necessarily lose you games. But he was legitimately from week four on losing them football games. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, he, he was giving them zero shots to win those games. Like he was the problem. So I think any sort of average quarterback play there, and you could see this as a playoff team. One of the best games of Sunday was Vikings Chargers, in my opinion. That was yeah. a fun game start to finish. Vikings win 27-20. There were three-point dogs on the road against the Los Angeles Chargers. Before we dive into that game, though, got to bring up our guys here. Manscaped, one of the proud sponsors of the Tailgate Podcast. Manscaped just launched new products. Oh, new read, new hat read. <laughs> Here we go. Manscaped just launched new products, including their all-new ultra-premium body wash, a two-in-one shampoo and conditioner, which you love to see in the shower. I got to cut time in the shower, okay? I don't got time for a body wash, conditioner, shampoo. I got to get it all in one. It's time to give yourself or someone who needs it the gift of beautiful skin, hair, and balls this holiday season. All righty. Go to Manscaped and use code PFF for 20% off. And free shipping. This week, we are giving away multiple performance package 4.0s. Rate and review the podcast. Leave your email, and we will choose winner at the end of the week. Rate and review the pod, and you could have jingle jingle balls all day long. I, mean, I was looking for a word on play there, play on words even. Can't have it. You could, you could get a performance package 4.0. You could be as clean as me. Inside the Performance Package 4.0, you'll find the Signature Lawnmower 4.0. You've heard it before. This electric trimmer has proprietary advanced skin-safe technology to reduce cuts on your nuts. It's also waterproof, so you can use it in the shower. 
They also just launched their new two-in-one shampoo and conditioner, which is key ingredients with benefits that include hydrating, nourishing, conditioning the scalp, and strengthening your hair at the same time. Tis the season to load up on Manscaped products, so get yourself, your dad, your brother, and friends the best gift of all, the Manscaped Performance Package 4.0. Get 20% off and free shipping with code PFF at manscaped.com. That's 25%, no, 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. Use code PFF. Clean up your nuts and make Santa proud this year. Any reactions to making Santa proud with some clean nuts this year? I really wasn't paying attention there. You weren't paying attention to the last line? Can I read it to you again? No, you're good. Clean up your nuts and make Santa proud this year. Okay. Santa is always proud of me. He's checking his list. He's checking it twice. Have you been naughty or nice? And are your nuts clean? That's did they add that to the children's song? I feel like they should. All right, on to Vikings Chargers. I know you guys were waiting for that. This, in my opinion, the discourse needs to start. Of Justin Herbert and what the hell is Joe Lombardi doing? Is he a bust? Oh, okay. No, no, no he's not a bust. <laughs> no, he's not a bust. Kidding, Seth no. Seth Galina reached out. He's like, hey, can I write a piece on Herbert? I think this offense is limiting him, if not neutering him completely. And I think there's a lot of evidence for that. Like Lombardi is, you know, we've talked yes. about the quick game dropbacks. We've talked about not pushing the ball downfield. He has the same average depth of target of guys like Mac Jones and others that he should be pushing the ball down the field way more. Only 20 of 34 for 195, a TD and a pick in this game. Also took two sacks. Herbert has proven to be, in bursts, better than his average depth of target and better than the amount of opportunity he's getting to throw the ball downfield. And it's not yeah. even that the Chargers don't have a receiving core to make it happen. Like, Mike Williams, Keenan Allen, all these guys can create separation down the football field. Even Jalen Guyton, your guy. What's the problem here? Where, where's, the, where's the crosshairs for you? It's... I, I agree with the offense. Like, it, it, I cannot believe that this is how you're trying to play into his strengths. And the other thing is, it's like you run this offense if you are worried about your offensive line. When it's like you got to get the ball out quickly. You, If you're the Raiders, you know, and you're like, shit, like I, I, I can't afford this many liabilities. But they have one liability to account for. You have right tackle right now, Storm Norton. The rest of that offensive line, you can trust to a degree to win their one-on-ones. So you don't have to, like – and if that's the case, like you can shift that side. You can get help to that side and keep Storm Norton from going one-on-one too often to attack down the football field because you have the personnel to do like everything suggests a downfield passing attack except for literally what they're running. Like literally the offense they're running. And I thought if you haven't read the article on PFF.com that Seth Galina wrote, the comparison to when Joe Lombardi went to Detroit with Matthew Stafford and basically, Stafford's numbers went in the tank. His passing grade that year was the years with Lombardi was 67.6, which his career average is over 80. And so, like, it, it just really takes away what those guys with the big arms who can attack down the football field with ease, it takes away their biggest strength. Like, it, it, yeah. it, it, Herbert's been very good at this underneath stuff, but it is why they have to run these perfect drives and have to he has to hit every single throw and they can't have one misstep or else often stalls. And we've said it all year long. It seems like the sum of the parts, they're still playing below it or still getting results below it. And this game was like part and parcel. His average depth of target this season, 7.5, is lower than Alex Smith's his last year with the Kansas City Chiefs. Yikes. If you're lower than Alex Smith than average depth of target any year, that is not where you want to be. And Especially okay, but let's, let's, let's let me play devil's advocate for a yeah. little bit, just a second, yeah. see how it feels. 
not all of that is on Lombardi, right? Like there is some of the like average seven I, target is not just an offensive coordinator stat. So I, it's very t much tied to it. I'll just say it. it is very, very much tied to it. And if you watch this offense and where like the routes are developing, and in the the quick game dropbacks are obviously a concern. And yeah. quick game average of the target on yes. quick game is like two hundred percent lower than where it's going to be on non, on non quick game dropbacks. And I think that's a big concern. But is there any reason to think that Herbert's also taking things closer to the vest here? To me, no, not really. Like I, I think it's very much on. It's again, Lombardi and Lombardi alone. That's fine. You can and, say but, it. But also like. This is an like again. This is an offense you operate if it's like Tua Tagovailoa and you're trying to ease in a rookie. I feel like they're hesitant to put too much on a young quarterback's plate when it's like, dude, like he is p beyond a young quarterback at this point. Like you, he's a quarterback that could probably win you a championship if you have the rest of the piece around him, which I think they do. They just have not lived up to it, and it's it's sad to see because I thought they could really give the Chiefs a run for their money at at points during the season, whether it was you know after they beat the Browns. I'm like, this team can make some plays, but that has not come to fruition and i mean this is a bad loss at home to yeah. the vikings the vikings were the i mean the vikings are better than four and five this is not a bad vikings team but the vikings were like downward spiral this could have been the nail in the coffin from mike zimmer had they lost this game so sadly I think uh, Justin Herbert and the Chargers have, in a lot of ways, exceeded expectations, but still not really reflected in their record on the year. You'd like to see them win more football games than they have, just 5-4 and four in the season. But in terms of field, uh, Herbert's grade, 87.2 PFF grade this year. He had a 79.9 last year. The big-time throws is the biggest is issue. He's had yeah. four big-time throws in the last four games. He's not getting those high-end yeah. throws that improve your PFF grade and chase these things down the field. And a lot of that, like you said, is the offense. And, and – I will say this: They're getting kind of. We said you way above, way performed above expectations under pressure last year. They're getting that low end regression under pressure. He's only converted 25 first downs under 103 pressure dropbacks. I believe that's 18th most among quarterbacks in the NFL. He's just they're they're not getting. And, and on Sunday, only two first downs converted under pressure. They're not getting like that's. It's just difficult to sustain how good he was under pressure last season. Let's get out of this. Let's go to Eagles Broncos. Eagles at Broncos. Broncos were favored by three. And I like Denver in this one, but, man, they did not show up. I mean, specifically Teddy Bridgewater on the fumble six from Darius Slate obviously didn't show up. That was that was absurd. That one's going to be tough. I, I know Teddy Bridgewater is like a likable guy in locker rooms and whatnot, but you throw that one on tape when the rest of the team is out there battling, that's a tough – that's just a tough watch when he doesn't want to get involved in the play. And that was a weird play where I was like, was it a fumble, was it not a fumble? And maybe he thought it was a fumble, yeah, but give it. But you can't What's the point just of not trying. Exactly, that, that was. It doesn't make any sense. That was. I mean, I hope Tom Teddy Bridgewater has an opportunity to talk to the locker room about that fucking play because that yeah. you, you let one that one just slip under the rug and everyone behind your backs talking about that one. Everyone on Twitter's talking about that one. It's not going to go well. But Denver was originally favored by three, and then it closed as a pickup. So a lot of sharp money getting on the Eagles late, and they were right. Eagles win 30-13. Where I want to start the conversation here. Jim Nagy, who's the director of the Senior Bowl, came out and said shortly after that Eagles game, Eagles currently hold three picks in the top 15 in next April's draft, mm -hmm. and none will be clear upgrades over Jalen Hurts and how he's playing right now. Would you rather have any quarterback in the 2022 NFL draft or continue to build around Jalen Hurts seeing what you've seen? That's tough. Uh, he's He has been solid this year. Uh, there's no doubt about it. He has not been a liability he's, he's not been like he has been a top 20 or so quarterback in the nfl but the, the reason he fought, fell to the second round the reason that like the nfl 
itself wasn't high on him is because they chase higher end. Like yeah. They straight up chase higher end. And, yeah, he's been a lot better than he was last year. He looks much improved. He doesn't have a ton of weapons around him, even though I think he does have a very good offensive line. Um, but I still think it wouldn't hurt to chase yeah. high end because chasing really high close. end is how you win championships. And it's like you're chasing high end at the most valuable position when you have three shots at it, you know? It, it, it's different if it was if they're going to be drafting 15th with this roster and don't have any other first-round picks and maybe, like, don't even have a second-round pick. Then it's like, okay, we'd, you would like to – you need to get young talent. You'd like to build a better roster to get competitive. But you have those three ones, and it's like one guy, one – say they draft a linebacker. Say they draft one – they draft a Kobe Dean. And I love the Kobe Dean. But it's like you're going to Kobe Dean versus maybe – Matt Corral, when Corral has a stronger arm than Jalen Hurts, was far more accurate, has been far more accurate in college than Jalen Hurts. He's a high-end athlete himself. And it's like prospect-wise, I get that it's like Nagy saying, yeah, they're not clear upgrades, but all those guys would, coming out, be considered better prospects than Jalen Hurts was coming out. So that's, that's just the thing with me is they're in a unique situation that it doesn't hurt you to take a chance. It doesn't mean you have to play the guy. It's just another chance at the most valuable position. I do think, too, that Jim Nagy can be right and that none of them are clear upgrades, but also you should draft Process them. Yeah, you know, you, yeah. you, it's still, even if like you bring in Matt Crow, Malik Willis, Sam Howell, whoever, whoever you feel is best of those third, you know, of the top quarterbacks, bring them in to, to, to compete with Jalen Hurts at that position yeah. and, and, and let Jalen Hurts develop. Give him the keys to this. But that doesn't mean you don't upgrade at the most important position in football yeah. or try to add to the most, most important position in football, and especially when you have that – that wealth of three first round picks, like go spend one on a quarterback. I think, I, I think you can do that without giving away. I mean, th- think about it similar to a situation in San Francisco, right? Like Jimmy, they, they came, mm-hmm. they drafted that quarterback, they traded three first round yeah. picks from whatever. Well, and they're like, Hey, Jimmy G's our quarterback. You can have that same confidence and instill mm-hmm. that same confidence in Hurts. So they like, yeah, we took this quarterback. Yeah. We feel like he's good, but we're J- Jalen Hurts our QB. Yeah. Oh, uh, I would even just go to the shit, the team they played the Broncos sitting at, nine Justin Fields not a clear upgrade over Teddy Bridgewater Teddy Bridgewater is a top 25 or so starting quarterback in the NFL like he's competent you're not certain that Justin Fields is a clear upgrade over him but I think every Broncos fan in retrospect would like to have Justin Fields on the roster right now and imagine if the Broncos had not just the ninth overall pick but also like the 15th right like yeah they could grab like and because the Eagles are gonna be in a situation where they have multiple picks and like you don't have to say Sertan or Fields you could say Sertan and Mac yeah. Jones or Sertan and whoever. I think that's going to be the route they take. I, I did love this stat, though, about Teddy Bridgewater. On third downs, 11 third downs, he completes six passes for 36 total yards and two first downs. Oh, my gosh. That's Teddy Bridgewater in a nutshell. You yeah. hate to see it. Seahawks at Packers here. Packers were favored by three and a half, and they won one big, 17-0 mm. in the snow mm. against the Seattle Seahawks. You just love to see it. Carroll talked about, you know, some rust for Russell Wilson, obviously missing games. He goes 20 or 40 for 161 and two picks did not look that great. I do. Yeah. Can we talk about the pick, the Kevin King pick? That was not a pick. Did you feel that was a pick? That was reviewed and confirmed way too quickly, in my opinion. Um, I mean, it was very similar to the, the Njoku touchdown, right? Like the Njoku dropped, you know, whatever, where he caught it yeah. and then it got kicked out and they're like, no, incomplete. Like Kevin King's was not all that dissimilar. So by the new rules, I, I think that's complete. Where it's if you have possession on and if it doesn't come out on contact, like if it comes out later in the process of like so we had it two feet down, gets hit, 
and it comes out as like after then like a rake mm-hmm. as he's going to the ground like the going the process of going to the ground itself is the football move to where that's i think i believe the catch um but so, like if that was it was so tough. i mean here's it the thing though if that was the weirder one on was the five the, yard line though that's incomplete right would I you know. i don't think so i don't think that matters really is, yeah um the weirder one to me was that they ever called the fumble recovered by aaron Rodgers. You know, oh, the, yeah, the yeah. fumbled snap that was Rodgers fighting with, I can't remember exactly who it was, the Seahawks defense. But they both, like, have their arms around it, but it is in the defender's chest, and the ref immediately is like, Packers football. And then, obviously, on the replay, it's like, you can't tell who it is because they both have their arms around it. But, again, it's in the Seahawks defender's chest. So that one was weird to me. But, yeah, I mean, it was a very good Packers defensive performance. I will also put some on Russ not having slept over the past three months because he was working out his mm-hmm. finger 19 hours yeah, a day. Yeah, yeah. If you're only sleeping five hours a day, that's not enough for mm-hmm. a professional athlete. He should know better. 19 hours a day was just too much, but he did miss some throws. What do you think were some of those workouts? Um, I don't know. What is he? What Trevor had him playing with the old skateboards, like the, the Tech Techs. Yeah, that, that I was, was never a, a pretty tech good tech guy. I wasn't either. Not a boarder. But I don't know that many good finger workouts, but we could. None I can say on the pod. Yeah. Um, yeah. But <laughs> the Packers defense, though. I'm such a child. Packers defense is – this was the best three-game stretch of the team with the Packers defense since at least 2010, probably. Like, they hold Kyler Murray, Patrick Mahomes, Russell Wilson. Yeah, whatever, banged up Russell Wilson. 34 total points in those three games. That's, that's just a far cry, and it is – one, a combination of the fact that Devondre Campbell's playing out of his mind. He's playing one of the best, if not the best linebacker in the NFL right now. The fact that Rashawn Gary is getting a ton of pressure. The fact that uh, Whitney Merciless looks like a different dude. Looks very motivated for the first time in years uh, rushing the passer. Um, the fact that they have probably the best safety tandem in the NFL right now. Those two guys are the key that don't get talked about a lot. But legitimately, the key to this defense and the way it is teamed up, the way Joe Barry's defense runs, those guys are coverage players. And they are often left or often get left one-on-one with deep routes in this game. If you go back and watch the All-22, like they have Lockett, they have DK Metcalf, those guys bearing down on them for corner routes, post routes, and they are staying on top of them exceptionally well. Those two have been not talked about enough when we talk about the Packers' defensive success because you don't. You don't see those, you know, on the TV copy. Mm-hmm. You're watching the game. All you see is Russell Wilson hold on to the ball. You don't see the fact that those guys didn't just bite on a double move and that they've stayed over the top of this route. They have been so good at that, had their hands on multiple balls. Uh, I believe uh, Amos did in that game. So those guys deserve a ton of credit. But I think this defense, when you get back to full strength, and now Sean Gary hyperextended elbow, shouldn't be too serious. But when he's back, Zadari Smith is back. Jair, Jair Alexander. Alexander is back. This defense could be championship caliber. Like that is how good they are, and that is like what this scheme that Joe Barry brought over. That is what it is capable of doing to some of the better offenses in the NFL. As we literally just saw the last two weeks, I am I am in on this Packers defense. I think they've yeah. proved that over against some really good quarterbacks for the last few weeks, and they've done it through injury, which is phenomenal. Mm-hmm. And I think for for the offense to lose. Aaron Jones and AJ Dillon didn't run the football all that efficiently in this one, but he did make some plays after, after the catch, which was obviously impressive. And Aaron Rodgers is still Aaron Rodgers and playing at a very high level. And Devontae Adams, I'd argue, up there with Tyreek Hill, top receiver in the NFL. They should be in the conversation to go to the Super Bowl mm-hmm. in the NFC. They're up there with the Cowboys for me, the Bucks, 
Yeah, I'm not buying the. I think I buy the Packers over the Cardinals, though. Mm-hmm. I think I might buy into the Packers over the Cardinals a little bit. I think that defense might be a little bit more sustainable, especially with what we've seen without Jair Alexander. As for Seattle, are you are you sticking a fork in Seattle, or do you still think they are Super Bowl competitive in the NFC? It feels crazy to say three and six. They're three and six. I never thought they were Super Bowl competitive in the NFC. But they got Russell Wilson. That doesn't make you Super Bowl competitive nowadays. Sadly, there's too many good quarterbacks to go around, and you had the worst secondary, one of the worst cornerback groups in the NFL. So now are you out? Are you out on Seattle? A little bit better, but I am very much out on Seattle. They are not a good football team in my eyes. There you go. All right, we're out on Seattle. Um, uh, I, I will just say this though: the Packers defense. One last stat: seven point three yards per against yards per attempt against on play action. Far cry from what we saw last year. They were over nine last year. Uh, they're just. It's a far more sound principles, this defense, than, again, what Petten was running, what Capers was running. I, I think this is a – I think that is for real, this transformation, to a degree. Obviously, with, without, without the pressure up front, if Merciless and Gary are gone, that's going to change things. But at, at full strength, it's for real. Last one here, Chiefs at Raiders, Sunday night football. Chiefs look like vintage Chiefs. I think that's what everyone said. I think Chris said that multiple times on the broadcast. Chiefs win 41-14. They improved to 6-4 and four on the season, a comfortable lead in the AFC West. Improved also 3-7 and seven against the spread. They were only 2.5-point favorites in Allegiant Stadium against the Las Vegas Raiders. And I would argue, defensively, it was the same disaster as we usually see. Like, the back end for Las Vegas was horrendous. They yeah. left multiple people wide open. They had Brandon Fasten, Nate Hobbs. Casey Hayward, you saw Desmond Trufant, who signed off the street a couple days ago playing in this one. Jonathan Abram giving up over 120 yards in coverage. Trayvon Merrick, very much a rookie. That back end is disgusting. I don't think there's a single secondary in the NFL that plays more nameless, mm-hmm. no-name players yeah. than the Raiders every single season. They gave up big. And then on the def- along the defensive line, Andrew Wiley, former teammate at Eastern Michigan with Max Crosby, held up well, also got away with some holding calls against Max Crosby. And then outside of that, they just don't have a lot of interior pressure. And it didn't matter oftentimes because people were creating such early separation. The Raiders' defense is a mismatch in favor of the Chiefs every single time because they just don't have the dogs to keep up on the back end. Uh, Okay, so number of things here. I I wrote last week the article, how do you stop the Chiefs? There has been a blueprint, how to stop Chiefs. And it's... And everyone keeps saying, oh, no one's blitzing against them. And that's kind of more a side effect of – it's kind of a random – like in the past, they carved – Patrick Mahomes had carved up non-blitzing teams. The real biggest thing – and he touched on it a little bit in the broadcast – eighty over 80% of Patrick Mahomes' dropbacks this year have been against two high shells, split field safeties. But last year was 50%. The book is everyone plays two high shells. And now – that is not to be confused with cover two, because I've seen that a ton on Twitter. It's like, oh, why, why didn't they just play cover two? It's like two high shells does not mean cover two. It is kind of a way of playing. It, it oftentimes, more oftentimes means either quarters or quarter, quarter, half coverages, which are designed to basically cap defenses and, and limit big plays. And it also, oftentimes, when you run cover three out of two high shells, it has a safety as more of an intermediate level player or like it shuts down play action game a lot better you have your safeties out of run fits so they're not worried about play action fakes they're not worried about quick game stuff they are coverage players only and that's what we talked about with packers and what they do and why they did such a good job of shutting down the chiefs and so two tweets here that i have that described kind of the situation in this game perfectly josh cohen who does uh pregame stuff or does like a lot of the research for CBS broadcast says 
said this, playing various too deep coverages and forcing patience, runs, et cetera, has been the recipe for defending Casey. And now Nosey says too deep, which is not cover two. Even I think Sam Monson made this mistake. Cover two is not how you beat Casey. It's the too deep. It is the split field safety stuff. Problem with Las Vegas doing that is you're putting 24 in coverage. Yeah. 24 being Jonathan Abram, who allowed nine of nine targets for 124 yards in this game. And so when they did that, you target Jonathan Abram. Now, the other one here is, and they truthfully did not do that. They only played 21 snaps of split field coverages versus 52 of single high. Because Gus Bradley, they were, does, they were Gus Bradley high. runs yeah. a ton Gus of Gus Bradley high. is yeah. the cover three single high guy. And so Quincy Avery tweeted this, which I loved. He said, I do have a question for the Raiders. If people have dudes against the Chiefs doing one thing on defense, why did you think it was a good idea to do the exact opposite? Which was every single team that has faced the Chiefs and shut them down this year has done what I just described. 80% of dropbacks. 80% of dropbacks. Two high shelves. Don't give a shit about the run. Don't give a shit about run fakes. Just defend the deep plays. Raiders did not do that. Get exposed in this game. And it's like, yeah. That's why I always felt the two and a half was a disaster. I mean, the two and a half was just an easy bet because the Raiders, again, this mismatch, right? And, like, I mean, I didn't even think about as in-depth as Gus Bradley's going to play way more single high than any defense has, regardless of what the trends are. And then you factor in, even if he does throw some two high safety looks out there, he's got a rookie in Jonathan Abram down deep. Jonathan Abram. Which is is rough. And Trayvon Merrick has played more snaps than any rookie this season. He has been... I think it's seated expectations for the role that yeah. he's been asked to do. He was Abram, not the problem on the other hand. It was Abram. <laughs> Abram, on the other hand, has been nothing short of burnt toast since yeah. he was drafted into this role and uh, got put on that for a little bit. It, as well. I mean, he's a linebacker. Like, flat out, the guy cannot play deep. You, you get – you cannot have him. as a, And that's why the cover three, he's been not as much of a liability because he is an underneath zone defender. There's only so much, so badly you can get burnt when you're playing within five, six yards of the line mm-hmm. of scrimmage. Now, when you are deep, like he was in this game a few times, well – Got cooked. All right. We got to get out of here. All right. Rams, 49ers. I'm taking Rams big. That's all I'm going to say. Same. Rams big. Uh, fun to read. This is – we're actually – we're all live on the pod right now, and we're going to play this tweet from Jay Williams. Real this Jay fun Williams. This fun to read. Fun to read. Fun to listen. Let's go ahead and run it, Quinn. Which one deserves more anger? You see, right now we're having two conversations around two athletes making decisions that have put others' lives at risk. Aaron Rodgers – Henry Ruggs. But one conversation is exponentially louder than the other. And it's not the one about loss of life. So I ask you again, which one deserves more public outrage? I still don't understand. I said this last time. Is there media outrage over the Aaron Rodgers stuff? I still don't understand that component. I get what he's saying. Like, there was a lot of publicity. Yeah. Let's call it publicity. There was a lot of media publicity around Aaron Rodgers one-on-one with McAfee. Mm-hmm. And then there was obviously a lot of publicity around Ruggs. Now, Ruggs' situation was sad as shit. And, like, yeah, you're outraged over Ruggs being an idiot and making mm-hmm. one of the worst decisions we've seen in fucking forever. Like, it was a terrible yeah. decision, and it resulted in a terrible Death, death, and also a terrible situation for Henry Ruggs now going to jail and potentially the death penalty. For, for Rodgers, there is this conversation around spreading misinformation and all that stuff, but it was on a show with a guy in a tank top called Pat McAfee. If you have outrage over that, I don't understand. And, like, he misquoted Martin Luther King. Like, I mean, there, there's, there's jokes to be had with Rodgers. There's no jokes, nothing beyond what the fuck, terrible situation with Ruggs. I think more people are upset at how much publicity the Rodgers stuff got than the Ruggs stuff, but there's just not a lot to comment on Ruggs. Like, Ruggs is awful, and that was awful, and there's not a lot to say. With Rodgers, there's jokes to be had, and that's why the publicity went that way. Yeah, this was not an uncommon – this is a fun to read because this yeah, was, was not, not an uncommon. uncommon response last week or just thought. If you saw – 
anyone tweeting about the Aaron Rodgers situation, there was un, un, guaranteed to be an unsolicited reply about why aren't you talking about Henry Ruggs or yes. something to, of that nature. And the reason why it, no one's talking about it is the reason why First Take is one of the most successful shows on ESPN. <laughs> yes. It's because no one, everyone cares about people disagreeing about things that go against like the popular opinion. Yeah. The opinion, the only opinion on Henry Ruggs that anyone ever said was that it was a tragedy and that he was in the wrong and that he should go to jail and be held responsible. Yeah. There was there's no, no disagreement there. Disagreement. Yeah. There was no takes to be had. And so, of course, like, you, you bring it up, you say that, and that's it. What else Rogues do you want immediate to do? Release, do you want to repeat I mean, no that <laughs> every single day for the rest of my life? It's tragedy. It's tragedy. Yeah. Tomorrow I'll say it's tragedy. Every single day I'll say it's tragedy. It is. But it's bad content to keep saying that, yeah, yeah, you know? Yeah. So that, that was just like everyone saying, everyone bring that up. It's ridiculous. It was, it was not an uncommon thread, but man, I don't know what the point Jay Rollins is really trying to make there. The interviewee, McAfee, when Rogers brought up Joe Rogan and taking his medical advice, literally was caught laughing on that show because yeah. that is insane. Because it's hilarious and, and, and content for days. Now, fun to watch, watch. A little bit easier conversation here. Swift is fun to watch. This is from World of Isaac. Isaac calling Swift fun to watch. He does a hurdle, which I, I agree. Which was the only fun to watch part of that Detroit Lions game yeah, was probably was DeAndre Swift. There was not a lot of else fun to watch in that game. Now, Marcus Mosher, who I do think is, this might be a repeat offender here on the fun to watch list. Marcus Mosher he, today. He obviously does not listen to the show because he, he keeps banging out he fun to watchers. Well, well, to be fair, this one is, is on the edge. Dak Prescott and Amari Cooper are so much fun to watch together. Don't you feel like that's kind of getting on the edge a little bit? On the edge of what? <laughs> on the edge of being just worthless. Well, I I would just love a better take there. It's, I mean, I guess if you're sharing highlights though, like he just has a highlight of Amari. I mean, yeah. I, I, maybe we're being dicks on all of this, right? No. Like, I mean, if you're no, just, actually, I will say we're not because it was difficult to find some this week. Like okay. these were some so tame we're ones people out because I think we're seeing a trend of people getting. Well, just you wait till draft season, baby. Yeah. Because when you're there's a 300 players in the draft, and I think 250 will be called fun to watch when it's all said and done. Yeah. Every fifth round fringe receiver that's got nice hands, it's gonna be fun to watch at some point in the draft season. So make sure you're following along as we get into draft season here. What was your CRP moment of the week? I, I did not. Cake. This was uh, this was not. This weekend, I don't know what it was. <laughs> there was not like a moment. Oh. A That's play? kind of true, actually. I didn't have like, I mean, the 62-yard Texas Tech field goal was cool, but it was I mean, Texas. Not Tech a lot of cake to be had. Winning, like there was, truthfully not. I know what yours is. Some guy recognizing you when you're on the field at Tennessee. Oh it yeah, had to be. That get, was kind of cool. That was kind of cool. Well. Someone recognized me when I was on the field in Tennessee. That was sweet. I don't know if I had a, a true caking though. I mean, the food in Knoxville. I, I thought the press box food was pretty good. They had they had ice cream. And nothing overly cake stirring. I though. know. I was pretty. It's pretty tame. Tame. Pretty tame tame weekend. We got to light it up this weekend then. Yeah. All right. Rookie of the week. This one's obvious. I'm not going to force a cake. By the way. Never force yeah. it. Never force it. <laughs> That's illegal. <laughs> go rookie of the week. Uh, rookie of the week, Mac Jones. I mean, there's no other way to go about this. That was about. It was a. I want to call it a perfect game, but it was close to a perfect game. It was just efficient, accurate. Where the ball needed to go, throw to Kenneth Bourne was sick. Looking off, throwing a touchdown to Hamza Henry was sick. And that's like the the stuff that is not talked about enough in quarterback play. It's like hitting an open receiver, sure, mm -hmm. but creating an open receiver is what he did. Like the Hunter Henry touchdown, he created an open receiver with the way he manipulated the linebacker in the middle field, and that's stuff that's high level that we talked about with him coming out that he did already that. 
quarterbacks sometimes never develop. And so Mac Jones, this one was not close this week. No honorable mention because he was the dude. Yeah, he was a dude, man. He was phenomenal. Quiddy Pay played well. I mean, there's some other guys that played well, but Mac Jones obviously taking the cake, the cake that you missed in week 10. Blackout, Pat Fryermuth tied in for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Not only did he have two drops, but holy shit, the the fumble late. And that was Trey Flowers on the recovery yes. too. It was getting all the way out to the edge to make a play. That was that – was, I mean, everyone's everyone in Pittsburgh when Fryermuth catches it, they go boo. There were some boos, I think. I think those weren't moves; those were boos yeah. down the stretch because that obviously cost them. That cost them a, a chance at the win, a chance at a Chris Boswell field goal, and handed the Detroit Lions the tie. There was part of me that felt that I thought for a second Jared Goff and the Lions might have taken a knee there. You know, just say, hey, we're going to take this tie, we're going to take our ball, and we're going to go home. Okay, we're not losing this game. I like that they tried to go win it, but still, that was hilarious. Yeah, I mean, Fryermuth, that was tough this is tough no tea for him sadly and like i was floored that they even tried to bite off a little bit more there with eight seconds left because of what literally happened not not even because of that if he doesn't fumble there they don't get a playoff yeah because that was third and one he didn't get a yard he goes down you can't spike it you got to kick the field goal there True. so that was that to me i would have just gone out and kicked it taken my medicine obviously you give him a hail mary chance on the other end if you don't get it but uh very surprised that they even tried that that is it. On to tailgate, tailgate review. review. Knoxville, baby. Knoxville was sick. I like Knoxville. The yeah. energy in Knoxville was great. I will say this. It wasn't – there were fucking barely any Tennessee fans out. I mean, we got more go dogs than we did get go balls. I think they knew. Everyone knew going in that this was going to be a bit of a bludgeoning, and it was. It was a tough game to watch. The tailgate – I mean, the press box food was pretty fire, though. Yeah. Had some good food in the press box. But in terms of the tailgate review – the tailgate scene was tame, man. A little bit. It was, it was more of a bar scene, more of a bar right? Scene. It was a 3.30 kick, and where everyone was that was going to head into the game or even attempt heading into the game were at the bars. Now, the two best bars in Knoxville, if you do go, Cool Beans and Uptown. No, There's Leaderboard. Also, leaderboard's also sick, too. No, Uptown was not good. Uptown oh, smelled Uptown's like puke. Uptown's one that smelled like puke. Yeah. Uh, I've never had a bar smell more like puke than Uptown. That was the anti-cake your pants. Yeah. We walked in. We were kind of hung over from the night before, and I, we literally had to leave. We literally like, turned we around. We showed our IDs. We walk in. It was an empty bar, and it was disgusting. And they weren't even open at 7 p.m. on a Friday. I've never seen it. It didn't open until like 8 p.m. on Friday. I don't know. It was, a weird, it was a weird scene. But Cool Beans is one of the coolest bars we've been to on our tour. We'll probably do like a full review of all of them, top five, once we're done. Um, leaderboard was great. I will say – when it was like more of a bar focused, it sucked because post game, every Bars line was loaded. An hour. Yeah, every yeah. line was an hour, so it was very difficult to get in. More that than an hour, cool drags dr- drug it down a touch, and that was like after a loss too. So, final tailgate score, eighty four point zero. Love the city, yeah. gorgeous city, great college town. Probably be fun as hell to go to, tailgate wise. I think believe that ranks. It doesn't help yeah. that they aren't relevant, right? I mean, it doesn't yeah, help, it like ten, it was it had a similar vibe to like LSU. When we went out to yeah. LSU, went to Baton Rouge, tailgate scene was kind of tame. Everything was kind of tame because LSU wasn't that good that year. Mm-hmm. And I think Knoxville, Tennessee, very similar. We did get out on the field, and I did get like a real up close pick of the dog, the pup, the smoke. Yeah, smoke. That too. was that was pretty sick. Mascot was also pretty dope. But good times in Knoxville. Until next time. That's oh, we got to give a shout out to James and the, and the boys. James and the boys. That's right. Yeah. We met out some people who loved uh, tailgate. Been listening for a long time. Gave them some hats, and they were. 
They were fun to hang out with. They beat yeah. the shit out of us in darts. Oh, well, I was getting my ass fucking wrecked in darts. You were getting wrecked. I never want to play darts again. Can I, I think it's shit beyond me, but I lost in the last turn. It was pretty tough. That was rough. That was rough. Shout out to James and the boys there at. I think we were at Cool Beans then. Yeah, Cool Beans. Cool Beans. All right. Uh, until next time, Asagale, Mike Renner, the producer, Stone Rochelle, Mike Quinn, James. Or no, not James. James is just a friend. David Sofaro, Max Chadwick. Uh, make sure you rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. Love to see it. Asagale, Mike Renner. Ciao.